Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. This is a podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're working our way through the Gospel of Mark. Today is episode 1005, and we'll look at Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Let's read the passage. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man, dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him? But go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you. They went out and ran from the tomb, because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone, since they were afraid. This is the Gospel of Mark. Mark's giving us this gospel, this account of the ministry, and now the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus had been arrested very early Friday morning in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was taken to the high priest, then the whole Sanhedrin. He was challenged, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? He said, I am. They said, this is blasphemy. He deserves to die. So they sent him to Pilate, the Roman governor. And the charge they gave to Pilate was that he claimed to be the king of the Jews, which would be treasonous to the Roman government. Pilate didn't really believe it, but was backed into a corner and ended up ordering Jesus to be flogged and then crucified. So Jesus was crucified, hung on the cross, and he died rather quickly. But then Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, a member of the Sanhedrin, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate released it to him, and then Joseph took the body of Jesus and put it in the tomb that Joseph had had made for himself, a new tomb that had never been used. And all this occurred just before sunset on Friday. And the sunset begins the Sabbath, Saturday, which no work can be done. So now pick it up in chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they could go and anoint him. So the Sabbath is over at sunset on Saturday. So if they're going at sunrise on Sunday morning, how can they go buy spices? Well, they did it Saturday evening. The stores could open as soon as sunset occurred on Saturday because the Sabbath was over. And a lot of people probably had some needs since they couldn't do anything or go anywhere or buy anything on Saturday. So I'm sure there was a little brief busy shopping time as soon as sunset occurred on Saturday evening. And they went and bought the spices. Now, the object of spices on a dead body, it's not to embalm the dead body. It's to basically mask the smell of decomposition. This specifically says they want to anoint him. Anointing is the act of pouring over. So apparently they had liquids to pour over his head, presumably. It was more an act of devotion than any actual burial preparation. 
We're told in the other Gospels that Nicodemus brought a significant amount of myrrh to actually use on the body itself. And notice these are the same three women mentioned in chapter 15, verse 41. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. Now here she's referred to as Mary the mother of James. When they were watching the burial, she was referred to as Mary the mother of Joseph. And back when they were watching the crucifixion, she was referred to as Mary the mother of James the Younger and Joseph. So it's the same Mary. These same three ladies are witnesses of the death, burial, and resurrection. And the idea there's witnesses that these things took place. Verse 2, very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. So Sunday morning, they go to the tomb. As soon as it's light enough to go find the tomb. Verse 3, they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? This is no easy task. It's a big stone disc that rolls down a hill into a notch. So one person could probably dislodge it and roll it down, but it's a hard, heavy stone to roll open. And it's not like it just suddenly occurred to them, hey, now now that we're on our way to the tomb, what are we going to do? How are we going to open this thing? It's an imperfect verb they were saying to one another, meaning it was a continuing thing. So it's probably something they had been talking about and were continuing to talk about. You know, we're going to get to this tomb. How are we going to get it open? Verse 4, looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Now, it doesn't say anywhere here how it happened, but had been rolled away. The implication there is something God had done. Matthew 28, 2 says that an angel came and rolled the stone away. Verse 5, when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Now, Mark doesn't say he's an angel. We're told in the other Gospels he's an angel. But it's obvious from the context he is an angel. He seems like an angel, the whole idea of dressed in white and with an announcement from God. That's an angel. Now, the way tombs were constructed, at least specifically rich people's tombs, was you had the entrance, which was covered by the stone. You went through a small doorway into a little outer chamber, very small. Then you went through another very small doorway into the inner chamber, and that's where the bodies were placed. So in this inner room, which picture the size of a small bathroom, but with notches cut out into the wall, and there could be several notches around the room at various levels to hold many bodies. So one necessarily one tomb for one person, but a tomb for a family. Now, the fact that this was a new tomb that had never been used, that Joseph had had made for him and his family, there were no previous bodies there. So the angel is there as soon as they go through the entrance into this outer room. Verse 6, Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. There he's indicating the inner chamber with the notches cut into the wall, which are all empty now. 
So the angel identifies, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Yes, you have the right tomb. This is the tomb Jesus of Nazareth was placed. But he is not here because he's not dead anymore. He has risen. Now the actual verb tense here is a passive voice verb. And in the passive voice, that's where the subject is a recipient of the action. So a, a, a good way to actually translate it would be, he was raised. Not so much he raised himself, he has risen, but he was raised, and the implication, by God. Now, the tomb is empty. That's not proof of a resurrection. The body could have been stolen. They could have had the wrong tomb. What Mark gives as the proof of the resurrection is this announcement by an angel. And that should be considered proof. Yes, the tomb is empty, but the reason the tomb is empty is because Jesus has risen. He has risen from the dead. And there's a representative from God here, an angel, telling us this. So this is the proof of the resurrection. Now, the other Gospels include post-resurrection appearances by Jesus. That's also proof of the resurrection. So we have the eyewitnesses of Jesus being executed and then being dead, Jesus being buried, and now Jesus being resurrected. Verse 7, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. An interesting way to say this, go tell his disciples and Peter. Isn't Peter one of the disciples? Well, yeah, but Peter so miserably failed in his loyalty to Jesus. He denied Jesus three times that perhaps in Peter's mind, he is no longer a disciple. He is on the outs now. And in fact, when they do see the risen Jesus in Galilee, we have this special restoration of Peter by Jesus, where Jesus says, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And it says it three times. The whole point there is this restoration of Peter to his position. So the angel says, go tell the disciples and Peters, you'll see him there just as he told you. Well, back in chapter 14, verse 28, Jesus said, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. So just like he said, he's going to go ahead of you to Galilee. Verse 8. They went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Well, this seems like an odd way to end the gospel. And there's a lot of debate about that. Is this really the way Mark intended to end his gospel? And, and the fact that women didn't tell anyone. Well, we know they went and told. He tells them, go tell the disciples. Well, that would be doing what the angel told them to do. And maybe the intention is, yes, that's what they did. But they didn't tell anyone else. They didn't run up and down the street yelling, Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. But Mark is wrapping up here with the point, and Jesus has risen. And that is the end of the gospel. Now, there's actually four possible endings to 
Mark's gospel. This one, where verse 8 is the end of the gospel. And that's generally the accepted position of scholars, is this is the end of the gospel of Mark. The earliest Greek manuscripts end it here. And there's uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of evidence, and it's pretty much universally accepted that this is the ending of the gospel. Now, there's something called the longer ending. We'll actually look at that next time, verses 9 through 20. And there actually are a lot of Greek manuscripts that have this longer ending, but not the earliest ones. And even early historians, Jerome, Eusebius, they didn't accept the longer ending. But there's a shorter ending. There's one Latin manuscript that has this shorter ending, and it just adds, but they reported briefly to Peter and those with him all that they should be told. After this, Jesus himself sent out by means of them from east to west the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. That's considered the shorter ending. And then there's actually about seven Greek manuscripts that include both the shorter ending and the longer ending. So you've got ending in verse 8, adding verses 9 to 20, adding just that short version, and adding the short version and verses 9 to 20. But you'll still see the longer version, verses 9 to 20, in, in a lot of Bible translations. And sometimes they're in italics or with a note of this is not part of early manuscripts. Uh, the King James Version includes the longer ending. So we'll look at the longer ending next time. But Mark's gospel is not to give a history or a biography of Jesus, but it, it's theological. It's that there is salvation through Jesus. Jesus came as the Son of God to suffer and die for the sins of the world. And he proved that he is who he is through the resurrection. And so the resurrection has occurred, and Mark has completed his task for the gospel. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time as we look at the longer ending of the gospel of Mark.